This week's podcast sponsor is Edgility Consulting. A full-service national executive search and talent consulting firm, Edgility helps clients find, hire, and support the talent they need to make a difference in the lives of youth. Put them to work for you. Learn more at edgilityconsulting.com. Hello, and welcome to the EdSurge On Air podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter and editor here at EdSurge. And I'm Tony Wan, the managing editor here. This week, we're talking about cybersecurity at schools and, and how secure, or in some cases, how vulnerable the tech systems in school systems are these days. And we're, we're focusing on a pretty unusual story that Tony here has been digging into. So, Tony, you talked with a student hacker, I understand, but, but this is one of the good guy hackers, the, the sort of white hat hackers, as they call them. Yeah, I talked to a student named Bill Demir Copy. Uh, actually, I, I should let him say his name. Well, uh, to be honest, you're going to butcher it anyways, but um, if it's for pronunciation, it's just uh, Bill um, Demir Kapo. You're probably not going to get that, though, I can promise you. So with his blessing, then, we'll refer to the student as Hacker Bill. Yeah, it sounds like this Hacker Bill has a pretty odd hobby when it comes to um, when he gets bored at high school in, in Lexington, Massachusetts, where he lives. Yes, so while many kids, when they get bored, might play video games or ride their bike, go to the mall, or just goof around, Bill decided to go poke around in some of the computer systems that his school uses. So specifically, he tried to get into the security of some of the learning and student management systems built by Blackboard and Follett, which are two of the most widely used systems in the country. Right, yeah. No, I think a lot of a lot of our listeners have probably heard of these, but essentially this is the, the computer systems that might have the grades and the student records of of his school. Um, and this is, I guess, how did he come to be interested in, in this kind of hacking as a hobby? I asked him that. I, I've always been into computers. You know, I, I grew up playing uh, RuneScape, an online video game, uh, and I've always, you know, been interested in the idea of, uh, you know, breaking systems, you could say. Uh, you know, it kind of fascinated me, the cheesy idea of being a hacker, especially when I was younger. I was like, how cool would it be if I could do that? And I kind of want to learn how to do that. And so it just, from there, when I got into ninth grade, I decided I wanted to get into it. I wanted to actually learn how to do the things I'd only seen in movies and heard about in the news. Bill even has a motto in his blog about security issues that says he wants to break anything and everything. Uh, yeah, I, I love breaking software applications and making them do something unexpected. You know, I love finding uh, flaws in a developer's code. Uh, that's that's just what I like doing, and yeah, that definitely is my motto. So, and actually, if I understand this right, Tony, this is kind of a hobby for some people, um, this kind of white hat hacking, um, that sometimes you can even get rewards from from some companies if you if you show them a vulnerability, maybe a bug in their software. Yeah, they are called bug bounties. And they are usually these things where when a, comp- a company is actually, uh, actually inviting people to come in and try to break into the systems to see if they can uncover flaws that the company themselves may not know about. And so I'm sure people are curious, like, what, what was the student able to see when he tried out his hacking skills on his own school? So what Bill did when he started poking around these systems is something that's referred to as a pen test or a penetration test. And that's essentially a term where uh, it describes where people who are trying to test uh, how secure or how vulnerable these systems are. So when he started poking around uh, these systems built by Blackboard and Follett, he found that he was able to access millions of records, um, things from test grades to medical records, 
uh, what they eat for lunch, all kinds of things. And um, what, some of what he was able to find actually surprised him. So I saw, uh, I think there were so a little over 34,000 immunization records on Blackboard's database. Uh, and uh, it was kind of concerning to see how much data the school, you know, what they had on a database, what they trusted Blackboard with. Yeah, so I understand he, he reported these bugs to, to the companies, or, or at least he tried to. Yes, but initially, in the case of Follett, he didn't feel like he was heard when he sent his initial emails. So when he didn't hear anything back, he kind of took things a little bit further. And um, so what I found was one of the improper access control vulnerabilities allowed me to add something called a group resource. And so a group resource was uh, whenever you logged into Aspen, there would be a list of group resources. And I think schools could use this to add useful links, like maybe the student handbook or this, this yeah, school calendar. Uh, but I found out that I could actually add my own group resource as a student. And so what I did was I added one of these group resources and said, Hey, hello, my name is Bill Demerkepa, uh, and I said, you know, full corporation is no security. So wait, I guess I want to understand. This means that um, every official who sort of logged into the school's student information system got this message saying the company had no security, I'm a student, saying this? Essentially, he just sent his own message saying that he was Bill, and everybody got that message. And... When I did create this group resource, I, it turns out it actually got a little bit farther than I expected. I went up to mobile devices. You know, it basically, whenever you logged in, uh, you would see that if you're in my district. Um, and so it, it was really interesting. And definitely the school administration wasn't that happy with it, understandably. Um, and it, yeah, I, I did get suspended for two days for creating a major disturbance. And Blackboard didn't respond either, which also frustrated him. 10th grader me, no vendor had ever just ignored me or left me on the spot. Although that's actually a real reality in the real world. Uh, real world. I didn't know that. Um, and so I was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing your, your... I was a little bit disrespectful too. You know, I said, your Blackboard security commitment says you, you're going to do this, this, and this. Uh, you haven't... You've only done step one. You know, this is kind of disrespectful to me because uh, I'm doing your IT department's job for them and for free. I want to keep searching, but you're not showing me the, the respect that uh, I deserve. And, you know, this is absurd. I even sent them a screenshot that I caught them red-handed. So at some point, Bill went to his school administration and they set up calls with the companies. And that's when he got more of a response from the company officials, since at that point, it was a, a customer, the, the school officials who were complaining. Wired Magazine, which is where we first heard about the story, reached out to both companies uh, Follett said they appreciated his help, um, but also stated that the security flaw that he found, with that flaw, he, he really never could have found the data of other students other than his own. Um, but that's not what Bill uh, says. Bill says that he was probably going to be able to access more data. Blackboard also downplayed the incident and said that there was no evidence that anyone other than Bill had exploited the flaw that he had found, so uh, no one else, to their knowledge, were, was able to see the data. After the break, we check in with a security expert to see how common all this is. Stay with us. This week's episode is brought to you by Agility, a company that helps education organizations find, hire, and keep high-quality talent. I recently talked with Agility's co-founder, Christina Greenberg, who stressed the benefits of taking an objective approach to hiring. 
and the pitfalls of selecting a candidate based on culture fit. You really do need to use evidence. There is a level of, of course, judgment that we're all going to make. <laughs> but as much as possible, how do we eliminate our bias? With our clients, we do anti-bias sessions, actually, with everyone. Before they meet candidates, right, and interview them, we do an anti-bias session with them. But how do we really think about the qualities, skills, competencies that are most necessary for someone to do a great job and not just, oh, I like that person? Because to go back to my first point, I may like them because they look like me or seem like me, right? or culture fit, which I know everyone thinks is a great thing, but actually is often a pitfall. Yeah, you always hear about culture fit. Isn't that so cool out there in the Valley, especially, but you know, all over? And I tell everyone how uncomfortable, I tell everyone I'm very uncomfortable with culture fit because it can also be a screen, right? For someone I feel comfortable mm. with or someone I like. Like it's almost code for something else that people don't even realize it might be. I think it often is. Yeah, yeah not always, right? I'm not saying sure. it always is. And what I tell everyone is of course, of culture, but rather than just saying culture fit, which can be a catch-all for lots of different things, positive and negative, how do we think about the skills, qualities, characteristics that mean that someone's going to be successful here? To find out more about Agility, visit agilityconsulting.com. That's E-D-G-I-L-I-T-Y consulting.com. Now back to the episode. So to understand how unusual or, you know, how common this all is, I reached out to Doug Levin who is a K-12 cybersecurity researcher, to learn a little bit more about how common or commonplace these incidents are. So I first asked how often he finds security flaws in EdTech products. So I'm seeing a new incident um, uh, reported about a a public school uh, at least every couple of days. Um, uh, So uh, since I've been tracking from 2016 forward, I've identified nearly 600 incidents. Uh, that have occurred of, of varying severity, right? So an incident is not the same from place to place. Some involve thousands of, of students or, or teachers and others may affect a, a small number. Uh, but uh, those are only the ones I know about. I strongly suspect there may be 10 to 20 times more incidents that are occurring that are not made publicly available. Um, so, you know, as we look around uh, you know, the world today, we're seeing uh, major companies and governments, there's lots of conversations about our election systems. Um, right before we, we got on the uh, line together, we were talking about the CEO of Twitter appears to have had his account compromised. You know, when major technology companies are having these issues, when the federal government is having these issues, uh, it's not surprising that schools are also uh, affected by these issues, and schools have fewer resources to defend themselves. So it's not surprising. Um, so, um, you know, it is, it is common. Uh, unfortunately, it appears to be becoming uh, more common. At least we're talking about it more. So unfortunately, it's not as, as rare as um, we would hope. So student data, you would think, seems like something lots of people would care about. <laughs> I mean, especially parents. Um, why do you think this hasn't gotten more attention? Well, Doug Levin says that companies might actually do more if the schools who are their actual customers would push back and push harder on the issue. Um, I think the thing that's uh, challenging right now is there hasn't been a market, a strong enough market signal to suggest that, you know, those companies that do that are getting uh, rewarded. I mean, it's the right thing to do. People should have greater confidence in those companies. Um, but, you know, buyers are making decisions about what platforms to use for all sorts of reasons. And security right now is not, it's not high enough up on the, on the list for enough buyers. And I asked Doug Levin what he thought of Bill's case in particular. 
So there's a couple of aspects of Bill's story that I think are interesting. So one is this notion of uh, student hackers and students sort of plying their technology skills and expertise uh, sort of against their own school systems or really in some ways um, kind of advocating on their behalf with the tools at their disposal. And so, you know, hacking is really about trying to figure out how things work, um, seeing if you can break them, seeing if you can make them... Uh, bef- you know, behave the way that you want and to get out, you know, to get what you want out of those systems. And so it makes all the sense in the world for students who are using more and more technology in schools to want to understand how that technology works and if there's ways that it can work better for them, uh, even if they're sort of gaming the system, makes all the sense in the world. And so, you know, students have varying degrees of maturity when they go after this, uh, you know, they do these sorts of things. Um, certainly I've covered a number of stories where students have successfully changed their grades or wiped out their lunch balances or defaced their school websites or social media accounts. Um, but there's lots of ways that schools have, have sort of, um, uh, been affected by students doing this and reacted to that. So that's one aspect. The, the second aspect of Bill's story that I thought was really interesting was his focus on school vendors and their security and that sort of disclosure process, right? So if you find, uh, if you go look and then you find a security vulnerability in an ed tech product, what do you do? And so um, this is a big thorny question in the cybersecurity world writ large. And so there's a lot of conversation about what responsible disclosure looks like and what companies that are treating security seriously, um, how they respond and how they should respond. So companies probably don't want to encourage all these high school students out there to to break into their systems. Um, But it sounds like Levin is saying they could do more (laughs) to to be open to this uh, kind of tip from the outside. Oh, absolutely. And it's worth noting that even Bill himself, who just started college, admits that even when he was a kid and he was doing this, he wasn't always the most mature in his approach. Well, believe it or not, I don't think my school was entirely wrong in what they did. Uh, You know, the whole group resource thing, I would have, if I was a school official, I would have suspended me as well, to be honest. Um, You know, it wasn't, I don't think it was, I don't know about like, um, there were a few things that I think they did wrong where in the sense that they weren't exactly following the student handbook themselves. You know, there's a few things that I think they went a little bit out of the lines there. Uh, but still, I think that I definitely should have had some sort of punishment. And I was ready for that, you know, before I did publish the school group resource. I was I knew that there was no way the school was going to take this lightly. But I think that what it, it's the responsibility should be more on the education companies like the software companies that uh, they have, for example, a security contact, even if they're not paying people to uh, report bugs to them. They should, you know, there should be a way to get in touch with the right department, uh, and hopefully they don't, you know, ignore, um, you know, people who report issues to them. And so I, I really think that for schools, in, in my case, uh, my school, it, they didn't, they of course had their moments where I think that they did wrong, but overall, just uh, understanding that uh, they're not everyone is, you know, in my case, I'm not, I'm not trying to be the evil person trying to get you know seal people's information uh, but in reality I think that it could be hard for a school to tell my intent um, but I, honestly I don't think I could give I'm qualified to give an opinion 
on what school officials should do and what's right for them to do. Just because I'm a student, I'm what, 18 years old, you know, that's, I think that's up to other people to decide. But I do think that there should be a little bit more flexibility. Maybe one day Bill will be one of the people running security at a tech company. He's currently studying cybersecurity and hopes to go into the field after he's done with school. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. We'd love to hear your ideas for future episodes. Uh, you can always reach out to me at jeff at edsurge.com. And if you like the episode, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you listen or take a minute to give us a rating. If you give us a good one, that's going to help other people find this show. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.